Balls to the Wall, episode number 39. I'm Kenny Matthews and my co-host, my main man over there, Billy Martin Jr. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, it's uh, a good day. I'm watching the Yankees Red Sox. One of the best, if not the all-time series of all sports right there in Fenway Park. Ah, and we have an even an old school mustache coming up there and Chris Carpenter. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> we do appreciate you guys listening to Balls of the Wall. We appreciate if you guys would subscribe to us. Just all we need to do is click the like button and make a comment for us on Rumble, YouTube, Spotify, and Anchor. Also, we're on Twitter, all that good stuff. We The comment part is the number one thing that really helps us out. Tell us if we're doing something good. Tell us doing something bad. I do want to say thank you guys for everybody that reached out to me after we had the Balls of the Wall short last week with our main man, Billy Martin Jr., we talked about the SI article that he had, um, Living with Dad, you know, that was great. Um, Mike Hampton reacted on, um, um, former Major League pitcher Mike Hampton, he reacted on that from last week. So it was nice. Um, Brady Tinker, um, that was big with the prime sports here in the Metroplex here for a number of years, he reached out. So it was really nice to get a lot of positive feedback, and I think that had a lot to do with how great the story was, and then also Billy Martin, this is how revered your dad still is, you know, and it's been a long time since he's been gone, but, you know, he still brings up a whole lot of, uh, let's say this, opinions one way or another. <laughs> yeah, so that was good stuff. We appreciate it, though, you doing that last week. Um, hey, I did want to say, is like short let we um, tape last week, balls to the wall short, Heck, we got a bombshell in college football. The boys of Troy from USC and the boys from Poly Pavilion from UCLA said, you know what? We're not going to be with the Pac-12 any longer. We're going to be Big Ten members, and we're going to do it in two years, nonetheless. Uh, Billy, that stunned me from a few different perspectives here. After Oklahoma and University of Texas had gone to the SEC about a year ago, almost a year ago to the day, the alliances, the other four conferences all kind of met together and say, hey, let's all kind of stick together. We don't want the SEC to get too much bigger. You know, we got to figure out how we could compete with the SEC. Kind of a handshake deal, you yeah. know, amongst all of them. And it took less than a year for somebody to break that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> agreement. Uh, it stunned me for a lot of different reasons. And I guess the number one reason is, is that the Pac-12 has already been kind of being pushed away anyway over the years, anyway, as you get going. Now you leave, you lose your two, besides Oregon, you pretty much have lost your two prestigious teams in that conference out there and the L.A. market, which I feel the L.A. market's a little overrated anyway. I think there's too much to do in L.A. I don't think you have hardcore sports fans, you know, not enough, excuse me. Not enough hardcore sports where they're rabid. They're not like that. UCLA hasn't sold out that Rose Bowl in I don't know how long. You go to USC the last games at the Coliseum, there's a lot of empty seats. So it's not a rabid fan base. Don't get me wrong on that. But still, they're they're premier. I mean, USC has tout, you know, amongst America still, even when they're down. That's shockwaves. But for the Big Ten, it's an absolute home run for them. They get to recruit the L.A. guy and say, hey, 
We're going to come play in L.A. every other year, whatever may be the case. Our games are going to be on TV. It's huge for the Big Ten. And, they, and I did find this out. The Big Ten is working on a new contract. Now you add the L.A. market to that? Yeah. <laughs> and and where, where are they going to end up with name like this image stuff, too? I mean, you know. I literally had a college coach tell me last week that he thinks LSU baseball players are going to be making six figures, literally $100,000 a year to play baseball at LSU. Now, not many baseball programs are getting that, but come on. Football and basketball players, absolutely. USC, UCLA, and yeah well and think about this in the baseball side of things ucla now has kind of replaced usc as in you know the better baseball program of the last 15 or 20 years um usc was the preeminent um college um, baseball team for a number of years probably from the early 60s to what about the late mid 70s late 70s i mean rod diddrell did a great job winning national championships left and right now they're in a conference now where the big 10 albeit you have michigan and you have a couple of other teams in there but that's a conference now in baseball where ucla and usc are saying hey we can win this thing you know, we can easily win this conference here. It's not as dotting as it was when you had Stanford in your background. You had Arizona State in your background. You had Arizona picking at some of the players there in L.A. at you. I think now the USC and UCLA, if they can just keep their players at home, they're going to be very competitive in all sports. Not many people know that. But U.S. a major swing. And, you know, we're talking about money, right? California. And from basically, have I been passionate? He wants to be a head coach. There's just so much extra work. I think he loves being in a the guys he loves teaching working but doesn't want to recruit doesn't want to be dealing with the press all the other headaches but i think it was such a situation that he's literally taken that that he told coach pierce i've got to just stay with my family for a while and I think the offer was so overwhelming. It was all he could do to say no. Uh, he, he, he needs a timeout. <laughs> well, I was, you know, to go back to the one other point, but like this is one, this is the one thing that I think is kind of alarming in this dog eat, you know, dog eat dog world that we have in college sports right now, I guess, especially on the football side here. The governing party, the NCAA, they don't have any. They're, they've been neutered now. There really is no authoritative figure here now to stop all this is going on. So 
my situation is to think about this. What does this do to Arizona or Arizona State? What does this do to an Oregon, Oregon State? What does this do to a Utah and Colorado? I mean, you've made them now. They were a commodity when the L.A. schools were with them. Now that the L.A. schools are not with them, you have lowered, you know, you took your house by and just lowered it because you put some government, some you know, government housing across the street. You know, they didn't do anything wrong. And now they're kind of left to fend for themselves. You know, you feel bad with that. I mean, I really feel bad for the people, you know, even the Big 12, you know, the kind of the same situation. You feel bad for the people that did nothing wrong. Yeah, it is all about money. Yep. And and just like in life, the rich keep getting richer and you know, the, the poor seem to keep getting poorer. And that's where I wonder if I don't know, should the NCAA step up, redo all the conferences. Um, but you know, you've got to keep rivalries. You know, I still miss the Southwest Conference. And, absolutely. And I was going to say that myself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I was. here's my suggestion to you, Billy. I, th I think that this is where it's kind of going. I think you're going to have two divisions in um, Division One football going forward. You're going to have, if it's, well, just keep it simple. Say it's a power five, but it's probably just going to be a power two conference. It's going to be about maybe 60 teams that are with that, maybe a little more. You're going to play for a national championship through that. And then you're going to have your Conference USA, your American and your Mid-American and all those other conferences. They're going to play in a Division Two of Division One. So you're going to have one champion here and you're going to have another one here. Now, people say, well, there's nobody's going to be interested in the MAC, North Texas, SMU, whatever, and all that. Yes, they will, because we're interested in it now, and there's no relevance for them to ever play. I mean, I said the Thursday night games, the Friday night games, we still watch them. The Saturday afternoon games, we still watch East Carolina play Marshall. Now you may pay attention more because they have a reason to keep playing because they're, they're going to have a champion at the end of that deal. You know, <laughs> now you may pay attention even more so now. I don't know if Boise State, I don't know, if, you know, something of that, you know, Wyoming, whatever. There's going to be enthusiasm and fan bases that maybe waned in late October or November when they lost five games already and they're just holding out hope that they can go to a meaningless bowl game. Now you have an opportunity to salvage your season and play. So I think you can actually have two champions out of that. I know TV and all that other stuff has to kind of get worked out, but I think it may be a boom for both. I, I hope you're right because – you know, I I worry about football's longevity in our world anyways. I mean, how many parents do you know that are letting their kids play peewee football now? And I know so many that won't. And what's going to happen 10, 20 years from now? You know, are they going to have to do seven on seven at high schools? And, you know, are a bunch of programs going to leave? Are the, the football players going to have to go to special schools like IMG academies or something? But where are they going to get good at it if they're not playing as kids? 
Well, I think uh, I think where we live, the state of Texas, that would stun me to death for the state of Texas. <laughs> they would go that way because <laughs> it's still a. I mean, it still just breeds high school football here, obviously. Absolutely. But I do think you make it a point. And then you know, here we had Thomas from the Denver Broncos. You know, he had CTE in his brain. You know, he just passed, obviously, this year. You know, he gets CTE. That only fuels that panic amongst, you know, parents letting their kids play. Believe me, I understand that. I'm glad I'm old enough that I don't have to make that decision. <laughs> you know, and I, don't have any, I don't have any kids that I have to tell my kid, no, he can't play or he can play. But I mean, but for my grandkids' kids or my daughter's kids, I mean, you have to make that decision. And I mean, I respect it either way. You know, I mean, as my dad used to always tell me, you can protect people from everything, but sooner or later, you know, your ticket is punched. You know, he said you can't avoid it. Uh, you know, it's you know, it's just it, it's it to me, it's 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 sad that money has corrupted the whole sport with the NIL with the transfer portal, the tampering that's going on, then you then you add on top of that greed from the universities trying to go to these power conferences. It kind of reminds you a little bit of the NBA, which is pissing people off in the NBA. We're tired of these dream teams. We're tired of these millionaires bitching and complaining about stuff. Oh, I've got to have this, you know, Hall of Fame starting five and all that. We, the fan, are the ones, I think, are getting hosed. It's not so much, you know, the schools will survive, the, you know, the players will survive and all that. But for us, for we like rivalries, we like competition, we like, you know, we like certain structure and pattern. We don't have that now. And that's what gets me under my skin. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, and we've talked about it a bunch. I, I miss those old Celtics Lakers until the more I watched and respected that group, the more I fell in love with the Magic Johnson and, and so the, you know, even the what was it, Rambus and, and knuckleheads on that team. I, I love their coat. Uh, the respect, but that's what the rivalries do. They become so awesome that, right. you know, it, it's about that for me. And I do miss that. I, I, I hate when sports get political. That's why we don't. I hope yes. you fans. No, we do not. That. <laughs> no, we do not. I stayed as far away from that. But it's. Sports should be our escape from all that. And that's that's what I want. I would love for it to go back to just being simple. I would love, but it, you know, I I've told you, like we said about analytics and baseball, I'm hold I'm I'm holding out and just leave holding out that we'll get rid of it, but I also don't have my head in the sand knowing that the power conferences are coming. Analytics is gonna be here forever in baseball, unfortunately. You know, either I can stop bucking the trend and learn how to accept things the way they are, or I can just be that old guy, get off my yard and still complain. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, 
I haven't made up my mind just yet, but I'm getting close. I'm getting closer to that decision, Billy. I promise. I promise. But we do appreciate you guys listening to us here on Balls to the Wall. If you could subscribe to us on Rumble, YouTube, Spotify, and Anchor, hit the like button there and subscribe. Make a comment for us. We greatly appreciate that. Would help us out over there. And Billy, I wanted to run over some things that you know. July 4th just happened, and I hope everybody had a safe and good 4th. As a matter of fact, I was coming back from the Cleveland-KC Monarch game on Monday, and I saw the fires in Fort Worth from all those um, firework displays that were going on. I mean, I saw probably 50 fire trucks because there was numerous fires going on. Yeah, yeah, from firing it because it's been so dry here in the Metroplex here. But it was crazy. But anyway, I was that day I was doing some reading, and I realized that baseball has two significant anniversaries on the July 4th. And the first one is, and, you know, I feel kind of bad that we didn't mention this last week. It's the 75th anniversary of Larry Dolby signing with the, you know, in the American League with the Cleveland Indians of Bill Vec. Now, we Man. talked all season about Jackie Robinson Day, April 15th, the 75-year anniversary. And I turn on my TV and I can barely get a, a wimp of this from the media. Now, I know it's a holiday, but why why is he the stepchild in all of this? I don't quite get it, Billy Martin. I don't either, because what a great player, what a great guy, teammate. And has that, has, has that just been overshadowed by Independence Day all these years? I mean, it must be what it is. It's gotta be because it's a, it's celebrating our country. And so maybe that's why it's been so much. I it, think, it, think about this. Bill Vett probably was more, meant more to baseball than Branch Rickey at that time. Branch sure. Rickey was kind of redeemed as a, a stingy son of a gun, you know, and all that. And, Nobody liked him, at least with Bill Vec, you had fans. You know, I mean, you know, he was animated as crazy, but I I just was stunned to not hear any hoopla coming up to it, and then nothing on the day of, and then when all the you know the shows come on Tuesday after the holiday, you know, your talking shows, no mention of it at all. So this is what I did. I went back and did the old research on Mr. Larry Dolby. And this is when I give you these stats, you're going to even be more mystified why we're not talking about him at all. First, okay, obviously he was in the Negro Leagues from 1942 to 44. And then he had to go to the Army for a couple of years. So he came back to the 46 and 47 season. Well, four, halfway through the 47 season. He was a seven time All Star in the MLB from 49 to 55. He was a Negro All-Star League in 46. So that's eight All-Star games in consecutive years. He was a Negro League champ in 46. Two-time AL home run leader in 1952 and 54. He was the RBI leader in 54. He was voted in the, in the Hall of Fame in 1998 by the Veterans Committee. Now, you can probably say that his stats in MLB was not enough. But when you combine it with the Negro League, you can get them all. You can get them into the Hall of Fame. And then he was, this is the one thing that got me. I forgot he managed the Chicago White Sox in 1978. I completely <laughs> whiffed on that, Billy. I was like, 
So Frank Robinson broke the color barrier just four years prior to that, but we had another one that was doing it in 78. So did he piss somebody off that we don't know? <laughs> I, I think he was such a low-key guy. I think he just wanted to talk with his numbers. And, and, and I mean, you know, you've got to, I mean, yeah, we all saw 42 and we There's can no imagine, yeah. you know, but and he wasn't the activist that Jackie Robinson was post baseball career too. You know, I, oh. I, mean, I understand Jackie was diligent about that, left the game early to chase that, you know, in the sixties. I get that. Just don't understand how he can just get passed over so easily. One you know? uh, <laughs> of his stats that still blows me away is nine in 17 seasons, 945 walks. Wow. 1,011 strikeouts. I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> Gallo's already got that for a career in strikeouts in four years. <laughs> I mean, basically, lifetime average, you know, basically 300, 400 on a freaking stud. And he played the World I Series. Never heard that he, was, he was really a low key guy. And, you know, you think about, that because we want everybody like that to be outspoken but some people just aren't built that way no and he led by example and i mean even as a manager i like don't remember any of his press conferences or you know shocked me it shocked me i <laughs> it, it caught me off guard. I, I, I was just like, whoa, I didn't know, you know he was a skip in 78. I said, you know, Jimmy Persall's in the booth and, you know, Harry Carey's in the booth. And, you know, they've got him as the skip. I had zero idea, you know. And that was, what, a year before Blow Up Disco at the at Comiskey, you know. I just, it's just crazy to me, you know. I just, I really didn't know, but I did want to give, Larry Doby props. His son comes on the baseball network often, and, and he kind of is, oh, what's that ex the extension of Larry Doby, kind of like you are with your dad, being able to kind of fill people in on things about you know, fathers that people didn't know much about. And so they kind of live a little through you guys on that. So, you know, and his son comes off really well-spoken. Um, um, he really brings a lot of attention to Larry Doby, what he did. And you know, some of the tough things, you know, obviously that he had to kind of go through in the American League. You know, we don't document those things. So it seems like all the stories are about Jackie and what he had to go through. And he's just as equally as important to the game of baseball from Black American that that Jackie was. You know, it's just it's just a shame that um, you know, some of us have forgotten some of the, the those things and how great of a player he was, too. You know, I think that also gets kind of dismissed, too, because that it was really eye-opening how good of a player he really was. Well, it's, you know, kind of 
You think about an Elston Howard, you know, who the first black Yankee and, and only black Yankee for a long time. too. Yeah. <laughs> right? and, and think about, think about being Yogi Berra's think about even just signing up to be Yogi Berra's backup, you know, hall of famer, 10 rings. I mean, you know, do you really think you're ever going to get a play? <laughs> and well, thank God Casey Stingle brought up the platoon a few years before Elston came on the scene. And they, that's why you see a lot of highlights of Yogi in left field and Elston behind home plate. Or you'll see, you know, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, you get a lot of that. It's because Casey said, I got a lot of good players over here. You know, I need to get them in the game. So the Gene Woodlands and all and Woodley and all those guys were platooning, but it also shows versatility. How many catchers in today's game can go out and play the outfield too? Not many. I the the, the best one is Dalton Varsho, who, who who spends time between center field and catcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. <laughs> Unreal. What? <laughs> yeah. Strong up the middle is what we call it, right? <laughs> well, I guess, you know, Craig Biggio was another one. I mean, he went from catcher, went to second base, and carved out a Hall of Fame career, which <sighs> I have to – he was voted into the Hall of Fame. Yep. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? He was great. Let's, let's look at a different facet there. Nobody wants to look at Disney, just big Poppyan, who we know, who we know tested positive for steroids. There are other banned substances. And Craig Biggio, for many years, did greenies. Now, we're not talking about anything illegal here, but... But it's speed that are supposedly banned substances, even though every damn clubhouse I remember as a kid had a big jar of them. I was going to ask you, of- I said, do you have that big jar in the Bronx when you were a little kid? <laughs> Grab some greenies and, and, head, and head to the freaking yard. Um, but at the end of the day, is that any different than steroids or, you know, cocaine or anything else that players did to gain an advantage? You know, it's really not, but for some reason it does, it, it gets completely overlooked. Yes, it does. Another one of those things that kind of gets swept under the rug, doesn't it? <laughs> Just a little bit. We won't pay attention to this a little over here. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> also, I wanted to bring this up, and I'll bring it up quickly here. Um, um, on July 4th in 1939 is the famous Lou Gehrig speech. Um, you know, that's why I was telling Billy kind of off camera here a little bit that you had two big premier things that happened on July 4th in baseball. Um, obviously, Lou Gehrig became down with ALS, which is called Lou Gehrig's disease. The reason I'm kind of bringing this up a little bit is because it, you can't find a total speech anywhere on the Internet. 
it's always bits and parts of it. No, it's not, nobody has a single from the first word all the way to the end. But I, you know, I'm thinking it's 1939. You would have thought that we would have had that technology wise by then, you know, it just, but you know, from everything that I've read about Lou Garrett, I mean, he was just one of the best humans before, you know, that played the game. Very smart, um, Ivy League school, um, school guy. Um, the thing that I wanted to say about this is that I thought that there's some stats that I know you're going to absolutely just go giddy over here about Lou Garrett. And he had six seasons where he batted 350 or better. He had 369 average in 1930. And this is for a slugger. I mean, this is not your Rod Carews, your, you know, your Tony Gwynn's, your Wade Bog type guy. This is a guy that was a slugger. Plus, he batted 349 one of those seasons. So let's say he had seven seasons where he batted 350 for a slugger in 14 years. He led the league in runs scored four times, homers three times, RBIs five times. In 1931, he had the AL record 185 RBIs. That's only second to Hack Wilson, who had 190, but he was in the wow. National League. 185 RBIs. That's just that's unreal to me. He was the youngest player ever elected into the Hall of Fame. They had a special election process due to illness. So he got in at 36. Um, he was an all-star seven times, an MVP twice, World Series champion six out of seven times that he went there. And the last but not least, he was a triple crown winner in 1934. Listen to this triple crown, 363, 49 home runs, and 165 RBIs. That wow. guy's back of his baseball card is loaded with stats. <laughs> I mean, it's unreal. I mean, I mean I'm going to – and this is the reason I bring this up for you, Billy, and I think you can come in. I have him as a top four player of all time. Just because of production as an offensive player and from everything I read, he was a good first baseman defensively. I mean, and then if you look at his World Series batting average, batted 360-something in the World Series, and he had 10 home runs in the World Series, 34 RBIs. and I mean, there's 34 runs scored and 30 RBIs. It didn't matter if it was April through September. Even in October, he still brought the wood. Oh, and played every day, every single day. Keep me in. I don't care if I'm sick. I don't care if I'm hurt. I'm playing. 1,500 walks to 800 strikeouts. I mean, you know, and he had that roof fella batting before behind him most of the time. Yes. So, you know, it wasn't like you could just walk all the time on uh, 493 home runs and he had to quit he had to quit short because of illness I mean he's a 500 he's a 500 home run guy for sure he might have got a 600 might have got close to 600 if he kept playing but I mean well, <laughs> he called himself in his speech the luckiest man on the face of the earth I'm not sure if the opposite wasn't true he might have been the unluckiest man on the face of the earth because he contracted a disease that was so rare named after him. Yeah. I mean, that's ah, what uh, what that's 
It's really it's sad. How could that guy that set the all-time record for game consecutive games played be the guy that gets that disease? And as we said before, one of the most respected guys to ever play the game as in off the field, on the field. As a matter Absolutely. of fact, I read a quote from um, Alexander, the pitcher, the great Alexander from pitcher. He said, we didn't throw at Lou Garrett at all because we had no idea what he would be like if he got mad. <laughs> <laughs> you playing that game that long and nobody ever saw you get pissed off or mad. You want to talk about being within yourself and being locked in to what you needed to do. And the only thing that you can ever say about Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth, they stopped speaking. And the rumor has it is that because Lou Gehrig's wife and Babe Ruth may have had relations. And you hate to, you know, see it kind of get tainted. But they made up for it. They made up at the end when Babe Ruth showed up at this speech. You know, they, and then Babe Ruth gave him a Yankee sweater at this speech. And, you know, and you can see that those two iconic players that played number three and number four, and the only reason they were number three and number four is because the Yankees, it was how they were, they numbered their players by the batting order, you know, during that time. Um, but it's just amazing to think that two iconic guys like that were not talking for several years because of this. And you're still going out there, belted out 50 home runs, 165 RBIs and playing every day in flannels. In yeah. flannels. <laughs> oh, and, no, and nobody knows what those feel like. I mean, I, I literally, my father said his jersey felt like it weighed 50 pounds after a game because it was so heavy anyways. And then it'd be soaked with sweat that, you know, it was just like taking it off was just like such a relief. And, but Think about this. Two guys were such opposites. Babe was such a wild man. Lou was such a good guy, family man. Absolutely. Great example. Absolutely. Well-educated. about true professionals, the constant professionals that fell away for, for so long at work. Yep. Yep. And, you know, hope, hopefully what – you said earlier it didn't happen, but I've heard it did too. And or whether or not it did, there there was, you know, <laughs> something wrong going on. <laughs> they even did things together in the off season yeah. as professionals. Had their own little barnstorm teams and stuff. And I mean, some rumors that there was some tension there on the barnstorming <laughs> things the last few years. Too. Yep. Might have been where the events may have happened, but. That's innuendo and rumor. We're not, we can't seem that. <laughs> but yes, but then you talk about this a lot about how much money these guys were making on the barnstorming. They were making more money on the barnstorming than they were um, in the, the major leagues. Yeah. You know, yeah. especially when they were, they were incorporating the Negro leagues during that time in the off seasons. You know, you talk about packed stadiums. It was a packed mixed stadium. It was full of blacks, full of whites watching these um, barnstorming events in these cities throughout, you know, throughout the, the throughout the country. And that was a huge moneymaker, man, for those guys back in the day. Yep. Well, that's another thing. Babe Ruth 
that's one thing he doesn't get much credit for either is is babe was a friend of the black man yeah. big time and and rumors that he is a black man <laughs> he was he was he, he took pride in that though he would go visit those guys go out on the field with them go hang out not just the barnstorm and stuff. I mean, just to be a friend. Yeah. And family. And doesn't get much credit for that. Everybody just wants to talk about the boozer and the overeater sure. and the sure. wild man that he was. And and come on, how else could Lou Gehrig forgive a guy like that if he didn't have a big heart? Absolutely. 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 And, you know, let me ask you, no, I'll ask a question be about the Lou Gehrig. How fortunate are the Yankees that they can have two five all-time players playing during the same time in New York? I mean, it's just un... I mean, the baseball guys shine down on the Yankees on that. I mean, big time. Because, I mean... You couldn't pitch around Ruth to get to Garrett. You know, you had the, you know, the 27 murderous row lineup that you couldn't have gone through during that time. I mean, it's just a stinking abundance of riches to the T. Can you name a better duo than Garrett and Babe Ruth for production? I, I don't think there's any chance. I mean, you know, maybe maybe 61 with, with Mantle. Sure. sure. One year. One year. I bet one year we could probably throw down with just about any of their two years. But even that, I bet we'd look and go, uh, nope. <laughs> I was going to say, and listen to this one. I, this is what I thought of. Stretch, Willie McCovey, and Willie Mays. But they didn't bat behind each other, really. Willie let off too much. And stretch batted third. You know, so I was like, so then I said, well, stretch and, and you know, and Orlando Cepeda maybe. But Cepeda still had great years as a Cardinal. So I couldn't say that they had enough years together in San Francisco. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's an embarrassment of riches to think that they have those two guys plugged in their lineup with no load management, with no one of this. They just put them in the lineup every stinking day and say, all right, who's going to hit the farthest home run today? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not sure I wouldn't have just walked them both yeah. every time we played them. Just <laughs> taking my chance to the rest of the team. Let, let, let Babe Ruth clog the base pass is what you're saying? <laughs> okay, no. no That's I a misnomer. Better athlete than people know. Yes, he was. Yes. Well, because we only saw video of him at the very end of his career. When and, all the, and he was jogging. Well, yeah, because he was because he just hit a home run. Yeah. But yes, he was the he ate too much. He drank too much. And at the end of his career, they didn't know about working out back then, or you know, it, that's what spring training was for to get in shape for the season. Um but he was, you know, he was a legit athlete, a runner. Obviously, he had a hose. He's one of the best pitchers in the history of the game. 
And it's just sad because everybody thinks that because we all saw the old fat babe back, you know, trotting around the bases. And he swung up a 50-inch bat, a 50, I mean, 48-ounce bat. But, I mean, I, I'm not sure I wouldn't shard just swinging it. But anyways. Well, you know, I was thinking next week, I think we should do like a Mount Rushmore baseball movie. Who would you think would be your four best? And, you know, obviously, I would say you just need to figure out three, you know, because we know who number one is, you know, on that. Because I think, I know a lot of people say a lot of things, but I think Babe Ruth is the best ball player to ever lace them up. And regardless of what era it was or what you did, because he was the best at either on the mound or on the plate. Either yep. way, it didn't matter. Kind of what Otani's kind of done here the last couple of weeks, you know. But anyhow, he did it at a higher level. But, yeah, we should do the Mount Rushmore baseball, I think, next week. I think that will be really good to see who that would be on there. And I'm not going to put any kind of stipulations on what it should be, if it should be an offensive player, baseball, just whatever you think is the Mount Rushmore for. You know, you don't have to quantify it any kind of way. But. I think that would be really interesting to see what we kind of come up with because we know the babe is on it for sure. It's just who's the other yeah. three? Who, the other, who are the other three? That's, that's <laughs> a pretty good one. <laughs> so we'll definitely do that next week for you guys. And we definitely appreciate you guys listening to us. We hope you can subscribe to us on Rumble, YouTube, Spotify, and Anchor. And I did want to do one quick thumbs up, thumb down, and I'll make it all in one. I'm going to give the thumbs up to Baker Mayfield. And the reason I'm doing this, he finally did get another team, somebody that actually does want him. But either way, he was going to get his $18 million. It didn't matter if, if it was I'm sitting out the year or I'm going to be on a team somewhere. He got $18 million guaranteed regardless of what the Browns have done. And I'm going to give the thumbs down to Whoever is in the Browns organization, period, you were the only team I know that crapped the bed twice. You diminished your only valuable commodity in Baker Mayfield by signing Deshaun Watson, bidding against yourself, giving him $240 million guaranteed. Now you, you did it so bad that you have a disgruntled Mayfield that said, I'm not playing for Cleveland regardless of if he's getting suspended or not. And now it's heavily rumored Watson's going to be out again next year. So who's going to be the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns next year? You're going to have a million dollars to Watson, $18 million to Mayfield, but neither one of them is going to be lining up behind the center next year. <laughs> it's amazing to me how you crapped it once, cleaned it up, and you turn around and crapped on it in the afternoon the same damn day. Well, I they may have made an even bigger mistake in the early 70s. <laughs> when when they didn't sell their team to the great George Steinbrenner. Because had George Steinbrenner owned a football team, first of all, God. he'd have Back taken, he'd have, he'd have made Jerry Jones look like an absentee owner, right? I mean, but, but 
are you going to tell me that he wouldn't have turned that into who knows how many Super Bowl realizes Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones, George Steinbrenner's first love was football. He coached at two different high schools. And a native Ohioan. Yes. And, and, and he coached at Northwestern University, University, before his father got sick and he had to go take over the family business, the American Shipbuilding Company. Well, he took it to such new heights that he had all this money. He wanted to buy a football team, but the NFL was blown up and nobody was selling. But Cleveland talked to him. They got close for a minute and chickened out. And then he stumbled upon the Yankees and the rest is history. But CBS he didn't even know baseball. And he got he didn't even know they sheet for CBS. Own dollars <laughs> to be the principal owner of the four billion dollar New York Yankees. Now, I mean, wow, like seven million or something. I mean, it's a ridiculous number. And you have to remember when he bought the Yankees. They were on a down, down slide then. They were sharing, they were, I mean, they, they were, um, I mean, for what, seven, eight years and afterthought, you know? And I mean, the Mets had taken over the, you know, the, the number one team at that point in time in New York. Really? <laughs> Just think about the new stadium that would have been built in Cleveland then, you know? He, oh. I mean, he toured, he renovated the the Bronx, you know, the Yankee Stadium shortly after he bought the team. But I mean, Absolutely. he would not have had the mistake by the lake long, I think, in Cleveland, man. And mm-hmm. as much tradition as the Browns had at that time, you know, you got to, you know, a lot of people forget how good the Browns were in the 50s oh. and the 60s with Otto Graham and Jim Brown and then, um, Jim Brown. I mean, I mean, you know, Gary Collins. I mean, they were a loaded team back then, and he and him to inject his money and passion for winning. Oh, and and his knowledge of the game. I mean, think about how many owners were college football coaches. I mean, seriously, you know, look at look at Jerry. Jerry played college football and was a national championship yep. as an undersized offensive lineman. Yes, but he was. George coached at that level, and. <laughs> No telling. Think what he'd have done with the sport he knew. Yeah. Look what he did with the sport he didn't know. I mean, he should be in the Hall of Fame for what he did as the Yankee owner. But the Browns, I bet, I bet they would have won four or five Super Bowls under his tenure. No, no telling. Who is it? Who would his Billy Martin have been though? Who it is? I was gonna say, what it would have changed. Hired and fired five times. <laughs> it right? changes two, two classic franchises big time, dude. If it swaps, because oh <laughs> a CBS managed Yankees is not putting money into that team to be competitive in the seventies. You know they are not throwing every ounce and fabric and fiber in their body into every day of winning like Steinbrenner did or like Billy Martin Sr. tried to do you know there's just you didn't have that you know you just but wow the change of events that would have been if that event would have occurred wow yes Cleveland Browns I'll I'll agree with Billy Martin Jr. you get two thumbs down 
<laughs> and enjoy Jacoby Brissett behind the center this year for your Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I mean, you've got a loaded veteran team and you're wasting another year of veterans wear and tear and playing in the National Football League. Your window is closing. It's closing. So Deshaun Watson's going to have two years of not playing professional football. Good luck with all that in 2023 for the first time signing up in two years live action. I mean, good luck with that. But, yes, Baker Mayfield, enjoy your $18 million. And you know what? Charlotte, Carolina, not a bad city for a year with $18 million in your pocket. I think you can find a pretty decent residency somewhere there. I think you can. But thank you, guys. We do appreciate you listening to us here on Balls of the Wall, episode number 39. We will be back with you guys next week with our baseball rush, Mount Rushmore. We'll, we'll be back with some more of your sporting events. And again, I want to say thank you, Billy, for the Balls Wall short last week. Like I said, we got a lot of positive feedback on that. And like I said, we shed it a very nice light on what, how you grew up and, you know, growing up with your dad, what it meant and all those kind of things. And the sharing, I had somebody talk about the Fenway story about you sharing Thurman Munson's glove. I was like, and that guy only knew if he could have just put it in his bat bag and snuck out the back door, how, what, how much that glove would be worth now. <laughs> I should have kept plenty of these. No <laughs> yes, that would have been awesome. But man, I, I, I do appreciate you doing that for me last week. That was really went off well. And guys, we do appreciate you. We'll talk to you guys soon as my beloved Yankees are up five nothing over the Bo Sox here. Three rum bomb there from Michael Stanton is what I'm going to call him today. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.